Join me as I talk with people who express their creativity in ways that can inspire the rest of us to recognize our own creativity. And if you enjoy these conversations, please like, subscribe, and share them. Hello and welcome to Creativity Conversations. This is episode 44 and today I have the pleasure of being with the lovely and insightful Kim Moriyama. Kim, so good to finally have you here. It's great to be here, Nina. Good. So I'm going to start out as we usually do, reading Kim's bio all and then see where the conversation goes all with the intent to demystify what creativity is and how it appears differently in different lives. So I'll start with Kim's bio. Kim is a coach who guides high achieving and adventurous women to accomplish career and life success with inner alignment. She loves supporting women to lead and live authentically without losing themselves and eliminating self-doubt and overwhelm. Her Brave Path coaching method is personalized to enable clients to develop mastery at letting go of inner limitation so they can honor their souls and harness the courage to blossom in the world. Kim's career and life path has been built upon joy, creativity, and resilience. She's been a facilitator of leadership, transformation, and spiritual growth in many settings. In one chapter, she served as a strategic development consultant on large-scale organizational development projects. In another, she was an outward-bound instructor developing leaders on extended wilderness hikes. She also founded a Pilates studio and trained apprentices to become highly skilled movement teachers with heart. Love that. She's designed and built her own home in Colorado, which now serves as a beautiful adventure base camp and perfect setting to coach her inspiring clients. Lovely. So I love that you talked about your life being built upon joy, creativity, and resilience. What makes you say that? From the time I was very young, it's it's been a aspiration a journey a quest and i know there must be some deep truth because i actually feel myself tearing up a little bit um i would say that from the time i was a very young child and i'm a third generation japanese american and so my parents and in particular i particularly my mother you know, growing up as a second generation, a child of immigrants who really struggled, there was a lot of struggle that I witnessed still emotionally in both my mother and my grandmother, even though from my perspective, we seemed to have everything we needed. We had food, shelter, uh, convenience, but there was still this element of struggle. And really as a child, I just wanted my mom and my grandmother to be happy. I did see that they were incredibly strong, resilient women, and they were very resourceful and therefore very creative. So from the time I was young, I associated resourcefulness and resiliency with uh, creativity. Mm. But the piece that, that, I think for me and my generation, it's really bringing the joy, 
the joy of creativity instead of the struggle that you needed to be resourceful and resilient in order to just survive mm -hmm. in life. And so when you, I noticed you, it caught your attention when I said, uh, founding that movement studio and training apprentices to teach with heart. Because for me and, and my journey, I think from the time I was a child, it's been a journey to come home to the heart and then hold space for others, others to do the same. Mm. So that actually causes me to think of several questions, but one is what would movement teachers be like without heart? Oh, very mechanical. I certainly in the, my um, career of being a movement professional, which is now we're going on 20 years, 20 years of being in the movement uh, profession, there are, there's so much fascinating information that can be purely intellectual, right? From a mechanical standpoint. Right. And I think a lot of physical therapy was initially founded on the biomechanics, mm -hmm. right? A very, maybe almost even Newtonian way of thinking, you know, levers and pulleys, and that's how our bodies put together. And, and of course, uh, there are, are teachers or therapists that come at it with just because their personality is a lot of heart. But I was really blessed to have mentors that were committed to whole body health and whole body movement. And that requires some heart <laughs> to be in it. And what they are now discovering in terms of spatial medicine, right, of which body and movement is part of, like nothing is separate. And so energetically, you know, you can't really separate your gut instincts, your own inner wisdom and your heart and that compassion, as well as the intellect. And so there's just a feeling of wholeness that comes with heart that you don't get from just pure intellect and knowledge. It's very well put. And I'm wondering if because of everything being tied together, whether that explains why often people uh, move into a position or a posture, or they're getting some sort of um, body treatment, let's say, it's not probably not the right word, but, uh, and they'll burst into tears, or they'll suddenly feel, feel a wave of strong emotion coming through. Oh, absolutely. We are amazing storehouses of energy. And some of that energy is very pleasant and others is not. But the bottom line thing is what I've discovered on my journey, whether the emotional stored energy is pleasant or unpleasant, either way, once we give space to it, allow it to be there, bring some compassion to it, the untapped potential is released and creativity and flow happens. It just, it just does because we become unbound. Energy wants to move. Energy, I believe, wants to flow. And you know what they're discovering 
And I, I have this little story to tell you is it got triggered when you were saying something. Okay, so with trees, there's plenty of studies out there now to find that there is this, mm, I forget what it's called, but there's something underground that connects all the trees. Do you, yes. do you know what I'm talking about? I do. Okay. Yeah. So there is this underground communication, um, nourishing intelligence that appears to be separate, but it's not. It's connected like this incredible web. Mm -hmm. So in our body, we have something called fascia. And that is like that thing that interconnects everything. And it stores information. Right, it stores energy, and right. So we have pleasant or unpleasant experiences, energy, memories that get you know stuffed away in there. And once that gets released, like there is a there is a sharing. The whole body can evolve, right? When we're when we're listening, ideally. I mean, it's going to happen irregardless. Things are going to go one way or the other, right? But there is going to be an evolution. And that actually happens energetically as, as well. Um, well let, me let me finish one thing. One of the things that I loved about the movement training I got, so tying this into creativity, is that because of this interconnected web, your body, when one part is learning something, it gets communicated to the rest of the body and there's a shift, mm. right? Just like in the trees, Trees actually can redirect nourishment. They actually, you know, it's, it's really interesting, but our bodies do the same thing. And so there's learning that happens in different parts of the body. When I had my hand operated on, and I have a, a fused joint here, uh, that I remember my hand just started coming back and doing movement without me making it do it my body's own natural intelligence was bringing natural movement back. I didn't have to say, hand, grab this way. Hand, move like this. It's just natural. And so there's this innate creativity in learning. So I'm going to tie learning with creativity, right? So we've got resourcefulness, um, uh, learning, and evolution that that creativity seems to weave its way into but there's one more story i really want to share because this blew my mind the first time i heard it have you heard of this book i oh i can't remember oh i can't remember the title of it but it was about this these islands in japan and these monkeys on the, the island hundredth monkey theory is this the one where the the grandmother monkey took her sweet potato down to the ocean and washed it off in the ocean instead of just eating it straight out of the dirt, right? So they, the scientists just noticed that this one monkey, this grandmother monkey went down to the ocean, was washing her potato before she ate it. And then the rest of the monkeys on the island started doing it. But what was fascinating is monkeys on separate islands that would have had no way of being taught this started doing the same thing very shortly after. Now, how is that possible? How did that creative, you know, innovative new action start happening? Well, what if just what if there's this energetic field that connects everything in earth? So we're not just talking about the trees. We're not just talking about the different body parts. 
but actually everything in existence on the planet is actually connected. And once we tap into that field, the create the flow of creativity is unlimited. So how do we tap into that field? <laughs> well, one of the one of the uh, my mentors, and you know, this is something you and I share in common is the Sedona method of letting go. Right. So uh, our for our listeners here, you know, the Sedona method of letting go. Uh, the uh, Hale Dwoskin is uh, one of the, I suppose you'd say the the torchlight bearer for Lester Levinson's work. But one of the things that they both said is that you are an unlimited being, right? So therefore, your only choice is to believe unlimited thoughts, and you can let go of those. So what I've been working on this this uh, idea for quite some time now that when I feel stuck, if I can find a way to actually release what's blocking, right? If there was a pipe, just to use this metaphor, and, and something's blocking the pipe, really, you know, it's not just pushing more water pressure, trying to make something happen, but it's actually removing the block allowing the block to be released and then there's flow and then we are effortlessly connected to that creative unlimited creative flow so we can... that was a long-winded way of saying let go of the block <laughs> <laughs> and the biggest block we have is resistance i think that is that is definitely that one thing, well, there's other little ways to approach it, but just resisting. I don't like it. I want to change it. Right. You know, we stop being present because we start to get lost in our mind of how we think it should be better in a different way. Right. <laughs> and then we, yeah. And then we, then we're no longer creative. We either, we either get flipped into our, that uh, limbic system part of our brain, we get an amygdala hijack and we go into fight, flight, freeze, appease. And there isn't much creativity there. There's only reaction. Yeah. Or we get into our judger mode and we get into the neocortex part of the brain where we go through our files and go, oh, this is how it was in the past. Let me go through, let me pull out that file and use that. So we're using old information. Uh, but really, what we want is to tap into the prefrontal cortex that this is where things that have never been seen before. This is where new and innovative ideas, concepts, actions are sourced from this part of the brain. And uh, one of the best ways we get there is by, by actually feeling good. Following the feelings. Mm hmm. I've heard that the the primary obstacle to happiness is resistance. You know what it is? It's kind of, I just had this image pop up when you were saying it. Let's see. We'll see how this metaphor goes. Um, it's like you're walking along the path, right? And, and there's this, uh, there's this, all of a sudden there's this big, like, um, 
let's say there's a bunch of boulders that got dumped in front of the path, right? And most people are probably like, I don't want to scramble over those boulders. Why are those boulders here? Why didn't they, why didn't they, aren't these removed? Who's responsible for this, right? Who can I get upset at that there's these boulders in, in the path that I wanted to go? It's ruining our day. You know, we were supposed to, we want to be over there, right? Where, uh, and so we're totally resisting it, right? And what if, just what if, we're like, oh, okay, so, well, what's the other option? So maybe we go around all these boulders, maybe we crawl over it. And so often it's like once we actually dance with the thing, person, place, or thing that we don't like, there's usually some huge jewel there. I mean, I hear so many clients say, wow, this was an amazing experience but I didn't get what I thought I was going to get. I got something totally different. And it's just, I never would have, never could have imagined that this is what I would have received. And my life is now forever changed. Yeah, that's beautiful. I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday about the difference between, this is slightly off track, but not completely, a difference between brainstorming and wondering. And brainstorming is so often, to me, associated with resistance. Well, we can't do this because in the past it's been this result, and we can't do that because of this. Rather than just saying, I wonder what would happen if we did X, and trying that out. And I think that happens so much of the time. Another phrase that is sticking in my head is that creativity is freedom from the past. So it's freedom from resistance because resistance always comes from remembering something we didn't like. Oh yeah, I don't like that. This isn't it, right? So That is so true. I love that, Nina. Freedom from the past. And even just hearing you say brainstorming, I literally could feel the energy around my face start to contract and focus and narrow down. And when you said, I'm wondering, I literally felt chest, throat, face, everything going this way, opening. Yeah. Right? I mean, just like, I'm just going to invite our listeners, just take a note, brainstorming, and just notice what happens somatically. And then, oh, I'm wondering. And do you notice how even when I speak, I go this way? I'm wondering. Okay, let's brainstorm. Right. Right. Oh, I'm wondering, right? <laughs> you can really feel that. And you're right. Yeah. It's so true. I love that freedom from the past. Yeah. Well, you're so somatically aware. What would you, how do you share that possibility of becoming more somatically aware with your clients or even people who might be watching this or listening? You know, to that's a good question because usually when I'm in a uh, somatic teacher mode, I'm in somatic teacher mode, but in coaching, you know, I think what I start with is just breathing. You know, just notice without changing anything without trying to anyways, just notice your breath. And then I'm wondering, what do you notice? 
<laughs> and just leave it open and say, you can't get it wrong. Yeah. You know, what's great about this work is you can't get it wrong. All you have to do is show up and notice. Right. Yeah. So That's very cool. I'd love to go back and have you share with us your experience with Outward Bound and what you got from that and how you oh. take that into your coaching. Oh, my goodness. I got so much from that. And I feel like I'm still getting stuff, learning, deepening, deepening the learning. One of the things we used to say in, in Outward Bound is that um, the mountains are the teachers. And what, what we meant by that is just the experience of being so immersed in nature, people learn and grow. Because once you're immersed in that energetic environment, because you have to accept what is. You could stay, say all day long, I don't like that it's raining, but unless you actually accept that it's raining and do something about it, <laughs> you're going to get wet. And then that, that's a safety issue, right? <laughs> so, so one of the things I really loved about it is that we get a group of strangers together. And very oftentimes I would go to a course area I'd never been in before, but I knew how to read a map. I was working with an instructor I'd never met before. And we were going to be together 24-7 for the next uh, 21 days, 23, 21 days. So there was constant learning and we get a group of up to eight students who've never met each other before either and who've never been backpacking. So it's it required for safety, right? Because if there wasn't safety, there was going to be no learning. <laughs> so for safety, you had to get really creative and resourceful in how you communicate, you had to be very flexible and adjust. You had to know when you needed to just be very firm in charge, do this now. And when you needed to be spacious and have lots of room for I'm wondering. <laughs> but when you're on a ridge and you can see, you can hear the thunder, there's no I'm wondering if we should get off the ridge. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So it, and it was, and because you're so in your body, you know, there's so much connection in the body and there is so much work with, with teaming, like we're in this together. So much of we're in this together. That's the rules we gave the students was stay together, stay together and stay together. Right. What were the three rules? <laughs> stay together, <laughs> stay together and stay together. So we gave them tools, not only how to stay safe, how to travel and live comfortably, but then also touching upon that leadership, right? So leadership um, and teaming, right? How to be a team, how to be a leader. And again, back to that whole resistance, one of the most amazing courses I ever taught was the most epic cold weather. We were on snow for 12 out of 14 days. Oh my. The only day we weren't on snow was the day they got off the bus and the day they got back on the bus. 
<laughs> I mean, we were supposed to be rock climbing and we were trying to all stay warm, you know, on the 4th of July, right? And it was, uh, so it was epic. And that group bonded because they had to come together to communicate. They had to work together. They had to learn how to, how to show up. And there was one time where we send them off after seven days, they go off without us and we say, we'll meet you here. Right. And they got, they got totally sidelined and it was an epic experience for them. But out of that, the one kid who actually knew, but didn't speak up, had a powerful experience. And for the rest of the course, he used his voice. And at the end of 14 days, he was a completely different young man. Wow. Who saw the importance of, of bringing his voice to the group for the benefit of everybody. And then they could build, you know, you don't have, it's not the, I have the idea, everybody follow me. No, we're a team and just kind of back to that network idea. Everybody, when you show up, you know, as best you can to the team for the goal, creativity happens. Team creativity. Yeah. And I would guess that part of what's involved in that or eliminated in that process is a lot of personal preferences. If you all have an agreed upon destination or objective, you can't just say, well, I, I don't want to do that. I, I exactly. I can't do that. You've got mm-hmm. to put that aside. You've got to put that right. past conditioning aside. That's right. Freedom from the past. You signed up for this trip. So we're here right now. And it doesn't matter who you were, you know, a year ago, two weeks ago, or even yesterday. We're here right now. Right. And we're trying to navigate through this um, very steep terrain and with ice axes and a helmet, you have to show up now. Right. And we had groups Outward Bound worked with adult groups as well and some corporate groups. And I got to be part of that. So it didn't matter if you were the CEO (laughs) or the marketing person or the janitor, who's going to make dinner. (laughs) Yeah. So it was a really interesting, you know, bring us all into our common humanity. And we all have different roles to play, right? We do. We all have different roles to play. But, you know, looking at it now through what I've learned over the years, you know, there's a piece of teaching us our inner resilience, inner resourcefulness. You know, how am I showing up? What's the impact I want to have? You know, so that's like very conscious. And then allowing us to be supported by the universe, the circumstances, our own fortitude, our own heart, um, nature's way, and to just live, to live our best life moment by moment, free from what was. Yeah. And not necessarily ignoring it, but not letting it dictate. Exactly. Or encourage us to resist what is. Yeah, exactly. You know, I always love talking to you and seeing all that artwork in the in the back of you. Um, when I was in college, I was an art major. And my uh, senior art teacher or advisor, she really changed my life in the sense of introducing me to maybe what we call modern art, where it wasn't 
trying to draw something that looked exactly photographic like something else. Mm -hmm. It was so body, mind, spirit oriented. It was really just allowing the energy, emotional energy to flow through and onto the creation, whether it was printmaking or oils or watercolors, you know, pastels, you know, it was just really allowing the a freeform expression. You know, I, I, I personally, I prefer that, that style of more abstract work. Not that I don't have tremendous respect for people who do representational work, but for me, I love being in a, uh, having an opportunity to experiencing something not primarily through my intellect. Oh, that's a, and fill in the blank. Oh, that's a, and this is how I typically respond to whatever that thing was, you know, but to have something that is an invitation to experience our feelings and our wonderings about color and shape and things that are not hard and fast and the line is clearly drawn about what they are and what they mean. Sure. Yes, yes, absolutely. And and again, I do want to reiterate, like you said, absolute respect and admiration for representational work. I mean, when I went to Italy, I mean, seeing the David and seeing the Sistine Chapel and seeing all of those incredible, very representational works, there was, they were inspirational and there was a lot of uh, beauty in them. And undoubtedly there was creativity there too. But I also was opened up to what you were saying, what you were just speaking to. And for me, I think that was very powerful in what I needed for my growth, right? Because it is uh, unfolding a moment by moment. I don't have a past idea of what is going to come next. I'm looking at the shapes and the colors, and, and it's almost as if something moves me to put the next line. And I remember, I'll never forget the day I had my painting and I was like feeling good about it. And my teacher, Keiko was her name, Keiko Hara. She comes up and she goes, and she flips it and she goes, oh, that is way more interesting. And it blew my mind. I was like, what? Yeah. Well, it's so funny you use that as an example because behind me, I have a photograph that someone took of uh, a stream where there are trees overhanging it. And she, when she printed it out, she looked at it and said, hmm, that's, that's nice. And then she flipped it so that the reflection in the water was on top and the actual yeah. images and the trees were underneath it. And mm -hmm. I thought that was so clever. Because yes. we get so used to seeing things in a certain way that we don't even see them anymore. Oh, yeah, tree. Oh, water. You know, this person, angry person, happy person, bad situation that we just mm -hmm. automatically skim over it again. Yes, absolutely. And do you remember those um, artworks where you had to soften your gaze? Oh, yes. And a whole other image came out. Magic Eye, I think it was called. Is that was that what that's called? I think so. But you know what's was speaking probably because I just had a really intimate heart to heart conversation with a dear girlfriend yesterday. And how many times did it come out? Oh, I had no idea. I see the situation so differently now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
<laughs> and you know, I, I love that you're using that example because one of the things I find so fun and kind of mind-blowing is conversations like this or conversations with people you think you know, you find out something about them if you're open and you're willing to listen and be present that you never had a clue about. You just made assumptions about who they were and what they did. And yet everyone is, you know, we kind of looked at people initially as cardboard stick figures, you know, like those Ronald Reagan cutouts they used to have, those that you could take your photograph with. We, right. I think just because of the way we're conditioned, you know, and our, our, way our brain likes to keep everything, you know, neat and clean and okay, I know what this is, I know what this is, and having some semblance of control, is that so often we see people like that, just cardboard mm -hmm. figures, you know, and yet when we give ourselves a moment, wow, they're, they're whole, they're, they are worlds unto themselves. And yes. That's such a beautiful experience. That's beautiful. And I love that word beautiful because there's an unfolding that we can't know. It's, it's completely unknown. And as you were talking, I was just feeling into the importance of challenging assumptions mm -hmm. in order to allow creativity to flow. Yeah. So we're coming back to the, I'm wondering, right? So let, let's go back to that metaphor of the, all those boulders in the path. And let's say we're journeying along that path with someone, right? We can turn and just be full of, who do I blame that this is here? And, or, or you could turn to your friend and say, oh, I'm wondering, what do you think about this? And who knows what they might, who knows what they're going to come up with? Oh, I'm wondering, I'm wondering what your ideas are and what to do. Right. And I can't tell you how over and over again, I'm like, whoa, I never would have thought of that. Never would have thought of that idea. Whoa. Yeah. That they think really differently than me. <laughs> and uh, wow, this is like bringing up one other thing. You know, I, I don't know if you've heard of this and it was years ago, I was living in Seattle and I believe it was called the theater of the oppressed. And they were improvisational actors. I know I thought maybe the name could be a little different, but the work they did was absolutely phenomenal. And the reason why it was called the theater of the, the oppressed, they actually went down into um, politically oppressed or socioeconomic oppressed communities and villages and in other parts of the world. And I want to say Central or South America. Mm -hmm. They would get the villagers together and they would put, you know, they'd put out a problem, right? And so they would have these improvisational actors, right, kind of act out. And the person who had the problem would say, you know, yes, that is exactly what I'm facing. And they say, okay, so we got it. So they start. And then at any point, a member from the audience would say, freeze. They would come in and they would tap a person and they would come up and they would act out like their solution. And I would be really? time and time blown away at all the solutions that were presented, solutions that never would have dreamed up. And of course, you know, different personalities could, could really pull off different solutions that, you know, that me and my personality never would have thought of doing. 
it was one of the most expansive experiences. And I just remember being so inspired by these amazing actors and thought, wow, how much of our community challenges could be resolved with this very creative, but it was very connective approach, right? And of course it required uh, in which these actors did a fabulous job of creating a safe environment for play. So that might be another uh, import, you know, in, and that goes back to my our original conversation starting about joy, about, about having um, creativity, not just from a survival standpoint and needing to be resourceful in order to survive, but uh, from a joyful, playful place to evolve consciousness and have freedom from the past. Ooh, how's that for tying this whole conversation together? Very well done. <laughs> there, here's the here's the somatic movement. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I would love to go in a side door here now that we've just had this conversation and ask you what what your experience has been as an Asian American woman. Uh, and what kind of challenges that you've faced as you've gone through different phases of your career? Because everything we've just been talking about sounds like possibilities that you may have explored as you've lived your life. Mm. Wow, that's a big question. And I, I want to preface that I'm speaking this as a third generation Japanese American. And this is one of the things of recent months I've, I've been reflecting upon that uh, perhaps the, in my case, a third generation Japanese American in the 70s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s is going to be really different from even a first generation Korean mm. or somebody from another Asian culture, you know, China, or Vietnam. You know, Myanmar, who comes to the a Western country or comes to the United States. So I just do want to preference that. And we don't all look alike. We don't all sound alike. We don't have we don't have the the same uh, um, journeys because of cultural cultural and then just you know things that happened. You know because my my filters you know, as a Japanese, uh, third generation Japanese American happened on the footsteps of World War II, right? And uh, that there was uh, many Japanese Americans on the mainland that were put in internment camps, right? had things taken away. And, you know, there's this piece of, but wait, you know, I'm loyal. Why am I being punished? I'm American. I'm American, right? Why am I being punished? I didn't do anything wrong, right? It's just because of my face and how I look, right? And there might be, you know, within recent uh, months and past year, this due to situations around COVID and whatnot, that maybe Asians of all cultures have been experiencing some of that, you know, in, in the United States. And so, yes, of course, there are differences, but there's similarities. So I just want to acknowledge uh, both of those. Mm. But from my growing up, I would say also, too, because I have an introverted personality, 
I've, I've learned to become more extroverted in order to um, pursue what I was interested in doing in the world. Uh, what I discovered is that with some of the things I wanted to pursue, being introverted wasn't going to get me there. <laughs> I was just being overlooked. And so one of the things I had to do was learn how to stand up for myself. And I had to learn how to put my feelings aside. And when I was younger, what I did was I just stuffed those emotions and bravely marched on. Okay, now that I'm older, I bravely unpack those emotions <laughs> and sit still. <laughs> Isn't that funny how that shifted? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's actually, I don't think I've ever said it that way before, but that it's, it's been a complete flip-flop. As a very young woman, yes, I stuffed my feelings and bravely marched on. And now as a, as a midlife woman, I bravely uh, allow those feelings to come up and I sit still. So... <laughs> Wow. Big, big difference. Yes. Very. Wow. Wow. So um, as the young woman bravely marching on with stuffed emotions, at that point, you know, my resourcefulness, because there was a lot of survival going on, I was a huge people pleaser and I was a huge overgiver. And so I got creative in how to be uh, a people pleaser and how to be a, an overgiver. And because we're unlimited, I found unlimited ways to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and it took a toll on my body and my mind for sure. Yeah. And so now at, you know, having a couple things in my life completely unravel and having to face my own uh, victimhood stories of, Oh, it's because this, Oh, it's because of that, you know, unpacking that, that Pandora's chest of limiting beliefs about who and what I was because I was an Asian woman. Oh, it's not safe to be in the world because I'm an Asian woman. It's not safe to speak up, right? Yeah. It's, uh, well, not right, but that is, I'm just sharing that that's, those were some of my really big ones, right? Oh, I can't pursue what I need to do uh, or I really want to do unless everybody else is taken care of oh, what if I do this and one of my family members gets embarrassed or shamed, then I'm, oh yeah, yeah, then I maybe need to do something drastic to set it right for the family name, right? And so is there not a little bit of a hold back there? You know, could I not share some of the exciting things I was doing in my life because there wouldn't be approval because that's not what a, um, a young Asian woman do does. It's not what I struggled so hard and sacrificed for you and you did this, right? And so the shame and the guilt, um, you know, the people pleasing and the overgiving, boy, it, it really took a big toll on my life until my life unraveled. And I realized, wow, it's just me. I'm the common denominator here. And as much as I want to do this, maybe you've heard this, as much as I wanted to blame out there, they say, you know, one finger pointing that way, but there's three pointing back at you. So I finally stopped. I had to stop, right? And discover what was true for me and what I loved about me. And so it's been a journey. And this is really where my, my heart is with my coaching right now is to really help the midlife woman, regardless of what her race is, is to pause 
and to release the, all the self-judgment, all the self-criticism, um, because really that is, I'm not enough, right? Yeah. That's, that's really at the root of the overwhelm. That's what's at the root of losing yourself. So bringing self-compassion, mm-hmm. man, you bringing that self-compassion and melting, you know, literally melting the hardness and the armor and realizing that you are the source of your own safety. You know, you are the source of your own happiness. You are enough just as you are. It's, you know, we talked in the beginning about removing the plug from that universal flow of creativity. So really allowing yourself to just be what you are and just allowing compassion for the body mind's history mm-hmm. and recognizing that you aren't that, those stories. Yes, there's a history, but it doesn't mean that's who you are in this moment and discovering freedom from the past by making a choice. Wow, that must have like been so powerful. My hair just fell out of my clip. (laughs) Let it down, sister. Let it down, exactly. See, the universe thought now, could we have even planned that? No, right? (laughs) No, just let your hair down (laughs) and like be who you are. And then the creativity flows. You have the solutions within you. Like they are wanting their little seeds that are trying to bloom, you know? So earlier back in my career, I pursued knowledge because knowledge and having knowledge was a way that I could be safe. I could prove my value. But now it's really about owning your value. And when you do that, the universe just supports the creative flow for how that value is to be expressed in harmony with your, for your own body mind and to support others to do the same. What supports the best and highest good of all. Talk about taking the plug out of the pipe. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yeah. I still can't get over that synchronicity. (laughs) See, this is like, this, this, this is a perfect example like we couldn't have planned that, right? That is just being open and then universal support. Just let your hair down. Right. So for those that, of you who are listening and not seeing this video, as we were talking and Kim was making her point, her hair came undone from the back and just fell flowing to her shoulders. Perfect timing. synchronicity so that's another part of creativity you know you're in the flow when there's these synchronicities and just finding the joy yeah Yeah. the joy in synchronicities i think that's you know going back to our conversation about brainstorming versus wondering it's that same i think there's a common denominator of openness and Whatever the openness, I guess, is the opposite of resistance, because when we are not saying this isn't it or I'm not enough, then suddenly, don't you think we discover, oh, wait a minute, we are. Mm -hmm. 
and I'm I'm not alone. So it goes back to what you were talking about earlier in the conversation about being connected to mm -hmm. whatever you call it, unseen forces, spirit, life. There's an energy just giving us an opportunity to, to be in its flow. Absolutely. And that word alone, I'm alone. I mean, you know, that, you know, that can be really traumatic. I mean, it can really trigger an amygdala response, right? Because as a child, like if you are all alone, I mean, how are you going to survive, right? That's a, that's a very real uh, fear that sometimes people carry forward and they don't even realize it. But if you just add an L for love, you bring some love to the mix, alone turns into all one. Ah, very clever. Isn't that clever? Isn't that fun? So all one and then we open, right? This is something from Lester Levinson, who was the founder of the Sedona Method. Could you be open to the possibility that you'll have everything you need as you need it? Yeah. I mean, that's pretty Powerful. open. Powerful. <laughs> like, can you like, and, you know, he was a great living example of being open. Yeah. And, and allowing himself to have everything he needed as he needed it. So let me ask you a question, because what's occurring to me is you and I are obviously on the same page with this, but what about with your clients or what about people who have had very turbulent his, personal histories and the last thing they want to do is trust themselves to what they see as a hostile universe? Oh, you know, it's a step, you know, there's, there's some people who go from feeling an absolute victim of the world, right, to, isn't there a story about even Eckhart Tolle sat on a bench for a year, and then all of a sudden there was like, one day it was like, whoa, all one, right? <laughs> but most of us don't have that experience. So it's a progression. It's baby steps. Okay. And so what I, what I really uh, suggest to people like that, who they're still in either pure resistance or they're feeling skeptical, right? Right. So it's a little bit of, well, I need to have some proof or evidence. And I think that's actually really wise. You know what I mean? Like we have to live with where we are. We can't pretend to be something or someone or have a certain um, consciousness about something that's not true. And so that's one of the things I love about the Sedona method that uh, I tell my clients too, because I really like this. Don't believe a word I say, try this and find out what's true for yourself. Yeah. And that's why I've been so drawn to experiential kind of work, you know, so somatic work, body work. I'm going to tell you to do something and you're going to do it. And if it works, you're going to keep coming back, right? Because you don't have to come back to pay me. You're only going to come back if it works, right? So try this and, oh, it feels better. I want some more of that, right? So, you know, find that there's so many tools on the planet for helping our consciousness. The Sedona method is just one tool, you know, breath work is one tool, artwork 
creative therapy is one tool. So I would say be open. Oh, I'm wondering what I feel really inspired to do today. Maybe it's go down to the river and just like a kid, just throw rocks in the river with the kids. Who knows what that could change by, by finding the joy of being a kid again, throwing rocks in the river. I mean, (laughs) yeah. What wants to show up next? Mm -hmm. What wants to show up next? And in, and, you know, we build our reservoir. Maybe a better way of saying it is, you know, maybe that universal flow is flowing through, through something that is as small as a needle syringe, you know, (laughs) super small, right? But it is flowing. We wouldn't be alive if there wasn't some some creative life force energy flowing, the body wouldn't be alive, right? So there is some. So as long as there is breath, there is possibility for a change. And so maybe that trickle through the size of a super thin, you know, uh, injection needle opens up to the size of a straw. Mm, Good analogy. Right. (laughs) And then just because there's more flow and it's kind of clearing out, you could say clearing us out from the inside out, maybe that then opens up to be the size of the uh, hose, the garden hose. Right. And then it opens up to be the size of a sewer line. (laughs) That's when it gets really exciting because all kinds of stuff starts dislodging. And it's really helpful to have guides and support as big chunks start dislodging and clogging the pipe for a moment. You know, and people have said, you know, you you get what, what, uh, you know, when, when you have the mindset that everything is happening for you to open up this pipe, it's super motivating. And once you have a few successes, even when it was like the needle syringe to the straw shift, you know, if you, if you're open to it, you get the right support, you get a synchronicity, you get a teaching that comes your way. I do believe we're all really supported. We have unseen support that is always rooting and, and helping us here to help us. In, in the way that we need to. And everybody has their unique blueprint for growth. It's very unique. So that way the openness, you know, creativity is a, it's a unique thing, person to person. You know, Monet did not paint like Picasso, right? Both great painters, but they have very different styles. Yeah. Right? You're making me, you are making me think. (laughs) There you go. I'm giving it back to you. Of a question which would be, I wonder what it would be like if I was willing to think that this might be possible, that I might be supported. What would it be like? Because the mind is always trying to come up with answers. You know, you're bringing up a great point, Nina, and this is something that I that I definitely do when I sense that there's a lot of resistance, and we don't even need to know why the resistance is there. Right. It would be like, what would it be like if? Doesn't mean you have to open. What would it be like if I could do that, or could I be open 
to the possibility of exploring this. Right. That's enough. That's enough to start increasing the flow because right there, I mean, what do you notice just hearing that? Could I be open to the possibility of exploring, wondering? Yeah. Like what happens to you? I could just even see it in your face and and your even your shoulders. There was a little shift. But what yeah. did you experience? Yeah. Well, that's that's the beauty of that question. I wonder what if that there's an expansiveness in my experience anyway, and I think we're we're both on the same page with this. Is that what we see and what we see in other people is that they it's like oh, really. And it makes things so much more, there's so much more freedom. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And this was a, uh, I want to actually bring this back to honor my mother, because I would say over the years, uh, there's always been a, I don't know if I want to say an assumption, but, but perhaps that we did really love each other, even though there was many challenging moments. And as a young woman, I really tried to fix her based on what I thought was right. You know, this could be, you know, from my, gen my generation's perspective. And when I shifted to just being open or just even asking her the question instead of telling her what I thought she should do. <laughs> right, guilty. Okay. So if anybody else does that. Yeah. Just no, I can relate to that, right? Uh, just saying, oh, mom, you know, I wonder what it would be like, you know, if you even considered blah, 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 and just left it at that. And then she's processing on her own time and in her own way. And there's just been some really beautiful unfoldings I've seen in my mom and coming to peace with her life. I mean, it's just deeply moving to just see her come to peace with her life because she was very creative and resourceful from that place of um, struggle, mm. right? In order to not only, you know, to do the best she could for herself, but also for her family, you mm -hmm. know, for her children and her grandchildren, right? And I have plenty of memories when she was in the joyful creativity with us as kids. And now as she's in her, you know, elder, sage, wise woman, you know, closing years of her life, there's a, there's a kind of creativity that feels so deep. It feels like creativity at a soul level. Mm. You know what I mean? Yes. And I, what I hear in what you're sharing is the tremendous kindness and compassion that comes with just asking that question, I wonder what if, for someone else. Because it acknowledges, as I see it, it acknowledges they, who they are and in all of their wonderfulness and their challenges and not that we have the answers 
But being able to ask that question, being for you or for any of us to ask someone else that we know who is struggling, instead of them telling them what to do, and this is the way it is, and which, you know, that we've certainly inherited that down through our generations, but just to wonder together is so, it's so benevolent. And I think it's probably one of the most intimate, connective things we can do. As you were talking, I was visualizing that grandmother monkey washing her sweet potato in the ocean, cleaning it off and having some nice salt to it. You know, this field of how we're all connected. Mm -hmm. So when we get into the wonder and the wonderment, the curiosity, the safe space, creating safe space for not knowing, then that invisible web of universal life force energy becomes available all you know becomes more present Mm. for everybody everybody and that supports the other person in being able to honor their own unique blueprint which is different from yours and mine and wondering as a pathway to intimacy into me see yeah right Right. oh that's really beautiful nina that's a jewel i'm taking away from today (laughs) me too wondering wondering as a pathway to create intimacy in relationships and with god the universe spirit whatever you want to to call it the whole magilla the whole yeah (laughs) or the whole enchilada must be lunchtime where I'm at. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know how we did this so fast, but we've we've already come up to the top of the hour. And before we leave, I would love it if you would share a little bit about what you're doing now and how people can reach you. Oh, oh, well, thank you. My heartfelt passion right now is coaching. It really is guiding. Like I said, I'm really focused on uh, women in midlife, professionals who uh, have an adventurous edge to them, who really want to live and lead authentically, to really tap their creativity with compassion. Women who want to learn how to let go of the blocks, you know, from the past and be free from the past so that they can live their best life right now, that they can honor their soul and still show up powerfully for their relations and their responsibilities without losing themselves, feeling overwhelmed and without self-doubt. So people can reach me just via my website, kimmoriyama.com. There is a way to send me a note via the website, probably the easiest and most direct way to reach me right now. Great. That's fabulous. Well, my jaw and my muscles are so sore from smiling through this whole conversation. I've really do that when we get together. Smile and we laughed and we we unearth these amazing jewels together. You you are hair does strange things. That's right. Uh, That's right. Uh, I I really always enjoy our conversations and time together, Nina. Me too. Yes. Me too. And I hope everyone who has been watching or listening has had a similar experience. 
So thank you everyone for joining us and stay tuned for the next episode. Bye for now. Thank you so much, Nina. And thanks for everyone to everyone for listening. Take care.